0: I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be opened to understand you. That we would understand the power that is available to your people because of what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus. Would you teach us tonight and change our lives? Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for always being with us. Thank you that you never leave us. You've never forsaken us. You've never abandoned us. That we are in you and you are in us. Thank you for that unity, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, so we're Acts 15. If you don't have Bibles, then who's got Bibles to pass out? Has anybody got? Yemi Chan will go, go grab Bibles. If anybody needs one, then just wave at her and she'll bring you one. Guys, it's worth bringing your Bible. I know that you've got your your Bibles on your phones, but it, it sure helps. It sure has helped me over the years to have a Bible that I use regularly. This Bible was given to me by my wife 33 years ago before we were married. And I can't, I can't, I can't change Bibles because I've got so many notes in the margins. I've, I, I know where pe- things are on certain pages, and so um, guys, get a Bible like that—something that you're going to hang on to for a long period of time, and it's going to be your study Bible for years to come. But if you don't have that, then Yemi's going to let you borrow one right now. So Acts 15, I want to remind you of where we are. Acts is the an account of what the Holy Spirit of Jesus did in the world through his apostles in the years after Jesus stepped off this planet. Jesus came to earth. God came to earth as a man, Jesus, so that he could pay for the sins of all people to buy back from the devil, to take back from the devil what the devil had stolen. And he paid for your life with his blood. And that news of his kingdom being purchased with his blood is something that we have talked about again and again and again, and we're living in the midst of that. The kingdom is coming in fullness. He, Jesus is coming back, but we are getting a taste, a foretaste of his kingdom right now as we, as he reigns in our hearts and reigns through us on this earth, okay? So that's where we're at. And so we've what we've seen since Acts 1 is Jesus' kingdom expanding and expanding and expanding. It's never stopped expanding, guys. Jesus' kingdom, Jesus, the growth of Jesus' kingdom has never gone the opposite direction. But there has been a lot of pushback. Every time that the kingdom of God advances through his people, the enemy rises up and tries to stop it. But I want you guys to remember, the enemy, who's the enemy? Yeah. Satan. I mean, often you guys, just, just like I think Caleb mentioned about um, irritating people standing in, at, at your workplace and making you upset. Guys, they're not the enemy. The enemy, the the Bible says, Ephesians 6 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against men and women. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there is a force of evil. There are forces of evil that are trying to destroy your life if you haven't noticed it. It wasn't just bad people that you passed on the way to... The cornerstone tonight. The, that was the devil using people's lives to try to destroy you. So what we've seen, um, over the our study of the book of Acts is you guys remember in Acts chapter one, Jesus told them what's going to happen. So this is a little bit of review, to catch you guys back up since we've been out of the book of Acts for the, over Christmas break. But if you guys remember, Jesus said in Acts one, he tells them "I'm going to I'm going to leave, but you're going to wait in Jerusalem until what? You guys remember?" And you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power. power. Okay, so remember, then Jesus leaves, and the disciples go back to Jerusalem, meet up in the upper room, and what do they spend their time doing? Praying. Praying. Okay, so I want you guys to remember this. Now, if somebody wants to get me a better pen, that would be great, if there is a better whiteboard marker here. So they start with, they, they pray, and how long do they pray? Okay, if, if somebody can get me a b- better marker, Yimichan, that'd be great. This one works a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's better. <laughs> uh, okay, they pray. And how long do they pray for, guys? Mm. How many days? That doesn't work either. Okay, how many days do they pray for? Mm-hmm. They're praying, they're praying, they're meeting together in that, in that room, and they know that Jesus' promise is going to be fulfilled. That they're going to receive power, so they are waiting and they are praying. And then, they, man, wow! How did you f- come up with that? Was that in your purse? Thank you, Alethea. Alethea has everything in her purse. Wow, thanks. Okay. Oh yes, I have been blessed with whiteboard markers of many colors. Um, okay, so they pray, and what happens next? Two. Yeah, ten days. That's right. So ten days. So fifty. Jesus leaves forty days after, after resurrection Sunday, and then ten days later is, it, is Pentecost Sunday. You guys remember this? What happens on Pentecost Sunday? The Holy Spirit is poured out. So prayer leads to. You guys remember this cycle? Prayer leads to power. So power happens, and then well, you guys remember in Acts chapter two, Peter stands up and preaches. A sermon, probably the best, one of the best sermons in history. And 3,000 people come to salvation. You guys remember that? And what do what we call that? Preaching and serving and all that, that is ministry. So ministry happens. You guys remember this? Ministry. Okay. So the, w- there's this cycle that's happening. Pr- um, prayer leads to power. That leads to ministry. And whenever ministry happens, what happens in, in Acts chapter 3? opposition that's right you guys remember so opposition happens and what do the disciples do what do the apostles do the church do when opposition happens they go back to prayer and when prayer happens more power comes and the cycle goes on and on and so we've seen lots of opposition from the devil in the form of what looks like people but the church advances so now here we are we're 18 years later since jesus left Okay, so this is sometime around close to 50 A.D. What year did Jesus leave? My, my, my guess, my, the, the date that I think you guys should tr- remember, this is, this, I don't guarantee that this is accurate, but I think that the date that Jesus left was in A.D. 32. So how many years are we away from the 2,000 anniversary of Jesus' death and resurrection and s- ascension? We're 12 years away, guys. 12 years away is is year 2000 since Jesus left. So 18 years after Jesus left, the gospel has been spreading all over, not not just in spite of persecution, but because persecution. Persecution happens in Jerusalem, and and the disciples are scattered. They go to Asia. They go to Europe. They go to North Africa, and within a few years by this time, by this 18th year of the kingdom of God, there are Christians everywhere from all kinds of language groups, and one of the biggest examples of that, of a a a multi-ethnic church is in, do you guys remember the name of the city? in Antioch. So there's this this first multi-ethnic church in Antioch. Obviously there's multi-ethnic stuff happening in Jerusalem, but there's these two big churches um, at this point. There's lots of little churches, but the two big centers of Christianity are in Jerusalem and in Antioch. Now you guys remember back in Acts 6, the devil had attacked the church in Jerusalem by trying to destroy division racially and ethnically. You guys remember this? The, the, The believers who spoke Hebrew were... Getting more of the food, the, the widows of the of the Hebrew believers were getting more food than the than the widows who didn't speak. Hebrew. Remember all this? That was an attack of the devil. But of course, the, the Holy Spirit overcame through the church, and the devil lost there. Now the devil it, uh, tries to attack the church to br- break up the unity of the church in another way. In Acts fifteen, okay? So Acts fifteen. Here we are. This division that the devil is trying to split the church with, this time is not an ethnic division, but an attempt at a theological division. So Acts 15 says this, verse 1, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Okay, if you want to throw that up there, uh, Skylar, uh, there's a there's a map so you guys can see where we're talking about. Okay, there's Jerusalem right down here, here's Dead Sea, here's Sea of Galilee, here's Jerusalem and Verse 1 says they came down. Now, why does it say they came down? That looks like up to us, right? Yeah, I mean, they're not thinking north-south. You know, compared to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is high up. And in in the Bible, almost always we read of going up to Jerusalem and coming down from Jerusalem. So they come down to Antioch, and they tell the brothers who are in Antioch, which is a multi-ethnic church, they say... Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, I want you to look at what they say. They say that you have to do something to be saved. Okay? You have to be what? Circumcised. Circumcised. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means in a second. But basically they're saying, well, just think about this. You must... Blank to be saved, okay? I just want you to think about this phrase here, and if we hadn't read Acts 15, and I asked you to fill in the blank, how would you fill it in, okay? Just, you don't have to answer right now. I just want you to think about this. If somebody said, what do I have to do to be saved? Your answer is, you must Go to the cornerstone to be saved, or whatever it is, okay? So I just want you to think about what your answer would be. Some of you guys are giving me smirks because you know that I'm just joking. People can go to heaven even if they don't come to the cornerstone. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? Um, So what is it, what we're going to talk about tonight, um, I don't know how far we're going to get in Acts 15, but what I really want us to be sure of is what is in this blank, okay? Okay? You guys with me? You know where we're going? Okay. Now, to answer that question, some of this is going to be a review for some of you, and some of you tonight are going to understand really what Jesus did for you. You're going to understand that for the first time, some of you. And this is what I was. So, so, we're going to start by saying this. Every person in the world who has the ability to reason, to think, understands that there is a level of goodness that they should be at. Every person in the world knows that they should be good. Something else that every person in the world knows if if they can think. They also know that the level of goodness in their lives is way below the level of goodness that they should be at. You guys with me? Two things that everybody knows. When you're sharing the gospel with people and they ask you what Christianity, this is a great way to share it. People know they should be good, you know, I know, they know, we all know, and yet we know that we're not good, and that there there is this gap between where we should be, the standard that we are required to be at, to be accepted by God, and the reality of where we really are, this gap, and the word that the Bible uses for this gap is sin, exactly, Now, there's so many people out there that when you explain that to them, they say, that's what sin is. But they all know deep in their hearts that there's something wrong because they feel the weight of that gap every day. And every religion in the world recognizes that there's this gap. Every person in the world realizes this gap and every religion recognizes that there's this gap. And what every religion is trying to do Is to fill this gap, because deep in our hearts we want to be good, we want to be righteous, we want righteousness. Now a lot of people don't even know what righteousness is, but we we understand that there's something wrong and we want that fixed. So every every religion offers a fixing for this gap, and all of them, what religion is is what, what what religion is really is is man's attempt to fill this gap through their effort. Does that make sense? That every, if, no matter who you ask, they're going to tell you that there are certain things that they can do to fill the gap. Okay? So, what does the Bible start with for the way to fill this gap? Now, what does it finish with? I want you guys to think. Um, Old Testament, what is the... Old Testament method of filling this gap. <coughs> Sacrificial system. Sacrificial system. And do you, can you guess, do you, does anybody remember a summary verse? I've talked about this before. but Does anybody remember a summary verse from the Old Testament that tells exactly how we are to fill this gap? Okay. Deuteronomy 625 says this. So John 6.25 says, if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. According to the Old Testament, how do you be righteous? You obey all the law. All the law. The most important word in that verse is all. And every religion out there teaches the same kind of thing. Okay? So the identifying in the Old Testament, the identifying mark that you are a person who is obeying all this law is circumcision sorry you guys had to come on a night we're talking about circumcision let's talk about happy things Uh, so if some of you guys are like well i don't know what circumcision is let me just tell you guys what circumcision is and and i promise not to show any pictures um guys uh, this this was a this is something that that is done almost always to to it's almost always done with babies not with with adults Okay, but but it has been done with adults. Well, it's it is a simple surgery of taking off extra skin off the penis of a baby. Yeah, you guys are laughing at me. Yeah, um, taking the skin off of the penis of a baby for the sake of cleanliness, and it became a symbol in the Old Testament of a person ha- being having all the muck cut out of their life. Now, this isn't just something that is that is religious. This is something that that health says is, has been proven as clean, as, as um, helpful, healthy, especially in cultures where people are not uh, able to take baths every day. Okay, so sorry for all that, okay? But I want you, I want you guys to, to see where this was given. So, I mean, it's, it's an awkward thing. It's like, God, could you think of something a little bit less awkward? Okay, but there's a reason for it. There's a health reason there's also um, some spiritual significance to it but I want I want you guys to see where this came about now I'd rather not talk about this okay but um, but this is this is from the Bible and it's in Genesis 17 so if you're going to understand I mean, there's so much talk about circumcision in the New Testament if you guys haven't noticed and it's always a little awkward when you're in Bible studies and you're like oh, circumcision you know you know what that's all about but but there's people that don't know so I want you guys to see where this comes comes from okay are you guys interested? Yeah. Or should we just... Okay, thank you. It's like, oh, why did I have to come tonight? Okay. Okay, you guys remember Abraham. God had a plan for Abraham back in Genesis, right? Do you remember remember the story of Genesis? And God creates humanity. Humanity rebels against God. Uh, then And God starts over with a man named Noah and his sons. And then he has a plan for one of Noah's descendants. that's a man named Abraham. And he calls Abraham. And he says, Abraham... I'm going to bless you for what purpose? So that the whole world will be blessed. It's not just because Abraham good. He's going, to, he's going to bless Abraham so that the whole world would be blessed. So Abraham leaves his home. How old was Abraham when he left his home? 75, right? Yeah. Okay. God says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. In fact, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means... Father of a great nation, right? I think that's right. So that's he's 75 years old. He takes him over from Mesopotamia into what is now Israel. And this father of many nations doesn't have any kids. And he tries a few things. But finally, in chapter 17 of Genesis, this is what happens. Abraham is 99 years old. And his wife is about to get pregnant. She's 10 years younger than him. So she's 89. They have a baby a year later. That baby's name is? Isaac. Isaac. Okay, so let, let me read to you guys in Genesis 17 what happened. Abraham was 99 years old. You guys with me in Genesis 17? Okay. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. And be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. He's talking about his descendants. And Abraham's going, God, this is what you told me 24 years ago, and it hasn't happened yet. It's a long time. Guys, sometimes it takes 24 years. And just 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 a side note there are promises that god has made to you guys in this room some of you in this room and you know that god has promised you something and you've waited a long long time but don't give up you believe god just like Abraham did his promises never fail never never fail He says, I will confirm my covenant. What's the covenant that he's talking about in verse 2? Covenant is a promise, a contract. God's promise to Abraham was what we read about in in Genesis 12, that he's going to use this man's descendants to bless the whole world. And God says, I'm confirming that with you. That is not going to fail. He promises in the following verses that he's going to be a father of many many nations. And then in verse 9, look at what he says. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. So here's your side of the covenant, Mr. Abraham. Your side of the covenant is that every male among you shall be circumcised. That means as your kids are growing up, that extra skin on your, on your son's penises is going to be cut off. Sorry for saying that, guys. But that's, his, that's, his, that's the covenant. He wants it to happen. He's got a reason for that. And you are to undergo, and you, Mr. Abraham, who's 99 years old, you are to undergo circumcision also. And this will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. In other words, you're going to do this thing, and it's going to be a symbol of our agreement. now uh, Some of this is cultural. You guys remember when a covenant was made, they took an animal, they cut it in half, and they put one part of the animal on this side, they put one part of the animal on this side, and the two parties would walk through the middle. There was blood involved in making a covenant. In this case, it's Abraham's own blood. For the generations, verse 12, for the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or, brought or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring. So in other words, not just your kids, but everybody who's a part of your household, everybody who, who is a part of your extended family is going to have this as a symbol of the covenant. Whether born in your household or bought, or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. What year is this this being spoken? Sometime around 2000 B.C., okay? Sometime around 2000 B.C., God makes this covenant with Abraham that is signified, symbolized by circumcision. Okay. Then 430 years later, Mosaic Law comes. The Mosaic Law doesn't set aside this covenant the Mosaic Law enforces it and says circumcision is going to be the symbol. So fast forward now to the time of Jesus, and the Jews are the chosen people of God, and the symbol, the physical identifying factor of whether they're, of, of whether they're Jewish or not is whether they've been circumcised. And, of course, my son is like, how does anybody know? And uh, the answer to that is you ask him who's been baptized in here okay now do, do you have to prove it by showing us the video no does so that make sense i mean people tell the truth have you been circumcised yeah okay this was this was the question for jewish people they're like okay you believe in god have you been circumcised because to them it mattered because it proved that you were trying to fulfill god's will by following the mosaic law do you guys understand this is the culture okay now these people come down to Antioch from Jerusalem and is like, okay, you guys can be Christians if you want, but you have to do Christianity our way. You have to become like us culturally or you cannot be saved. Okay. Here's my question for you guys. That verse that I just mentioned to you in Deuteronomy 6.25, righteousness comes from what? Obeying the law according to Deuteronomy 6.25, and that is signified by circumcision. Okay, how did that work out for everybody? It didn't work. How many people were saved through obeying the Mosaic law? Nobody, right? Nobody. Nobody here. Remember what I just talked about the gap, this, this standard of what we should be, and the actuality the place where we really are there's this gap and every religion offers to fill the gap and judaism although it was offered by god it doesn't save people it can't save people because it's based on trying to earn your way to heaven now it's not just judaism but every religion out there offers these things every religion says that you're supposed to to do certain things. And if you, if you guys have talked to people from other religions, in fact, I, th- I want to encourage you as you're talking with our Muslim friends and our Buddhist friends and our Hindu friends and our Sikh friends and people who don't know what religion they are but they still have this idea of, the ga- of that they should be good, here's what I want to invite you to do. You ask them. You explain this gap. And they say, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then you ask them this question. You say, so what do I have to do fix this problem. Is anybody from a Muslim background in here who, who's, okay? Lareb is from a Muslim background. Anybody from a Hindu background? Okay, anybody from a Buddhist background? Okay. I mean, any, or any, any of these, any religion that you ask, they will tell you somewhere between four and ten things that you're supposed to do. like Do this, and do this, and do this, and do this, and do this. And here's what you do. You ask them, How's that working for you? Have you kept those four things? You know what they're going to say? If they're truthful, they always say, you know what? I haven't done it perfectly. And then you ask politely, because we care about these precious people, you say, so apparently your religion doesn't work. Because your religion is teaching you that you can fix this problem if you do these things, but you're not able to do them. And their response is, yeah, maybe you're right. And they think for a second, and they say, but we should still do the best we can. And we should still hope that maybe God will be merciful. Are you guys with me? Have you guys heard this kind of thinking before? And when they say that, your response should be what? What should your response be? Okay, he's already been merciful. Here's what I suggest you guys ask. And if I were were you guys, I'd write this down. You say, okay, what's mercy? And they're not going to be sure of that either. They're going to say, um... They'll explain it in some way, but basically what they're going to say is it means God's going to be a nice guy. In their minds, mercy is synonymous with being nice. Does that make sense, guys? The problem is if mercy is just being nice, then we're back in the same situation because there's a level that we should live at. There's a level that we really are. And if we're just hoping that maybe God might be nice, then how do we ever know if we've really attained the level that we're supposed to be at? We can't. We can't do that. So the, the biggest factor, the biggest problem with, well, I hope that God will be nice to me argument is what? It has to do with another word, justice. Very good, Amanda. It has to do with justice. But here's the problem. That we want God to be merciful. But if God is good, he must be just. And the problem is, is that if he's perfectly just, he can't be merciful. And if he's perfectly merciful, he can't be just. But because God is good, he must be these two things. And every religion out there in the world tries to deny the fact that God must be just. Justice means, you guys know what justice means. Justice means that a, that a judge must not be nice at certain times. That being nice is not the goal. That justice means that punishment must be given for every wrong that is done, no matter how you emotionally feel about the person in front of you. Two nights ago, I went home, and my son Ian, everybody loves Ian, Ian said, "Dad, let me tell you what happened. I was playing volleyball ball or some kind of ball game in the in um in school, and he comes running by and hits the biggest bully in the school, and he knocked the bully over. So what do you, what do bullies do when they get knocked over? So he didn't do anything right then, but he started planning. So they go back into class, and Ian's sitting there." and the and the bully comes over and takes him and wraps his arm around his neck and whacks him and his chair backwards on the floor and he hits his head and the, the nurse thinks he's got a concu or the teacher thinks he's got a concussion so she sends him to the nurse and and the nurse calls my wife and my wife calls me and I say okay that's that's for today tomorrow will be something else because we have we have adventure every day um so if you guys have been to Japan with me you know what I'm talking about okay <laughs> So here, here's my question for you guys. Did the kid, do any, did the big bully do anything wrong? No. Did, uh, probably. He did something wrong. He just about gave my son a concussion. I mean, we love this kid. There's no, there's no, I just wish the kid had come into my house and be loved by us. There's nothing that we want to do to harm him. But the truth is, should the kid have a penalty for the wrong he's done? Absolutely. Okay. Is the principal under obligation, to punish this kid. Yeah. yeah. It's the principal's job, right? But what if the principal says, well, you know, we normally punish kids who attack other kids, but because this kid is my nephew, I think I'm just going to let him off the hook. I said, if. That's not what the principal said. <laughs> if the principal says that, is the principal being merciful? No, oh, listen, listen. Is the principal being merciful? Yeah. Absolutely. I was like, he's a he's a kid. He's only eleven years old. Yes, kids make mistakes sometimes. Let's let's let him off the hook, okay? That's being merciful. Is the principle being just? No, no absolutely not. Okay, so here, you guys understand the, the, the problem between justice and mercy. So, is there an answer to this predicament? Yeah. Absolutely. What's the Bible's answer to this predicament? Yeah, you're you to tell, grace, grace. That's right okay so that's right grace grace is the answer but guys i want you guys to think about this situation this is the predicament guys that every religion in the world is in we all admit that we that we should be good we all admit that we're not we hope that god's mercy will cover us but we have to deny his justice and if we say that he's just then we then we realize he can't be merciful are you guys with me do you guys understand this predicament The world out there understands this predicament that they try to ignore, but you have the answer. And here's the answer. The answer is absolutely amazing. The answer is, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other way of thinking. Because Christianity is really the unreligion or the nonreligion or the anti-religion because religion is an attempt to fill this gap by man's effort. And Christianity says you don't have to try anymore. Doesn't mean you don't want to be good. It doesn't mean you try to be good. But trying to be good for the purpose of righteousness is no longer necessary because in this unbelievable truth, this inconceivable truth, God becomes a human. To take my gap and your gap And every person's gap, the kid who knocked my son and tried to give him a concussion, he took his gap all upon Jesus. All of it on the cross of Jesus. So that God could prove his justice and at the same time demonstrate his mercy. Let's look at one more verse. Romans 3.21 that describes this, guys. This is the answer. To what we just read in Deuteronomy 6.25. Romans 3.21 tells us how God fills this gap apart from our effort. Romans 3.21. But now, now, what is he talking about now? Starting in 32 AD. But now, a righteousness from God. Righteousness means the equivalent of having that gap filled. Righteousness from God apart from the law. Remember what the law was? The list of 600-something rules that you had to obey in order to attain righteousness before God. Now there's a righteousness that's available, a loophole in this thing. And it's been made known, but it doesn't ignore the law and the prophets. All the law and all the prophets pointed to this loophole. That's what Paul's saying to the Romans. Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for anybody who's willing to believe it. You guys want righteousness? Try, try, try. You guys, Some of you have been trying to fix your lives for years. Some of you guys didn't want to be here tonight because you're just thinking, there's one more silly preacher talking about trying to fix my life. Guys, the fixing's been done. Righteousness is yours. There's nothing that you can do except to reject what God has done for you that will keep you from experiencing His righteousness. It's already been done. It's already been done. And then He says, look at the second part of verse 22. There is no difference. No difference in what? No difference between Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Sikhs and homosexuals and alcoholics and pastors and prostitutes or anything else. There's no difference between all of us. We're all rotten people. Our religion... Didn't make us good. Jesus made us good. Our religion, our effort to attain righteousness didn't help us. No religion did. What did make us righteous is the death of Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 23. For all those people that I just mentioned, including Steve and everybody else, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. Who is justified by his grace? Look, what does it say? All. All have sinned and all are justified. Guys, understand this. All are justified. Does that mean that everybody goes to heaven automatically? No, because plenty of people still reject it. But you've heard the truth now. Verse 25, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. In other words, Jesus' blood was the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary payment for all of your all of the sin that you've committed. And he did this. Look at the second part of verse 25. He did this to demonstrate his justice. He had to be just. He had to punish your stinking sin. He had to punish for what you've done wrong. You can't, can't just ignore and say, oh, you're nice. You're cute. I like you. Never mind. No. It had to be paid. You had to pay. But Jesus paid for you. He did it to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance. Do you guys see this in verse 25? In his forbearance. That's, that means he, before, even before you were born, he bore your sins oh, he, Ahead of time, he bore your sins, and left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. It was, it was like all those years leading up to Jesus' death. It was like sin after sin after sin and after sin after sin being stored up and stacked up and stacked up and stacked up. And God bore that. God, God, God held on to all that for a time when all his wrath, all punishment would be poured out at one time. All punishment poured out at one time and he did this, verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, speaking of 32 AD, and, and after that, so as to be just, to bring about justice, and also to be the one who justifies. Is that good? Yeah. That's God's answer. That's a biblical answer to this problem between the seemingly opposition between justice and mercy. Jesus has paid the price for you. Think about this. Think about what Jesus did. Think about the kid that knocked my, my son over. He's going to get in trouble. He's going to have to go to SAC. Do you guys know what SAC is? I don't know what it stands for, but it's like sitting in class all day all by yourself without anybody else around. It's, is I-S-S? Yeah. Okay. And, and at Alvareto it's called SAC. So, here, guys understand. This kid's going to get punished because he deserves it. Justice will be paid. But what if my son, in fact, I even asked the Ian, I said, What if you would you think you could take sack for him? He's like, Dad, I don't want to do that. That's so boring. (laughs) I was like, okay, you don't have to. But what if he would have said, Yeah, I'll do it? That's what Jesus did for you. And it wasn't sitting in the sack all day, it was being cut off from the author of life for eternity. Jesus made the way for you. Jesus made. the way for you. So in this right here, you must remember these guys come down from Antioch, from Jerusalem to Antioch. And they're saying, you, gotta, you, just gotta, you guys got to obey. You got to be circumcised and obey all those laws. in order not to be saved. Is that true? No. Well, true. So we're going we're gonna to f- finish this chapter next week. But what would you put here? You got to believe. And, wh- and, wh- and what does that mean? How much do you have to believe? How much theology do you have to know to be saved? I don't know the answer to that question. I just know that there are kids who Jesus has paid for who don't understand anything. What sends a person to hell is the rejection of the truth that they know. You guys remember this when Jesus says all sins will be forgiven? This is before the cross, right? Remember when Jesus says all sins will be forgiven? He's talking about there's coming a time here in just a few years when I'm going to die and, I'm gonna and, all, and all sins will be forgiven. There's only one sin that can't be forgiven, he says. And what was that? It was, yeah, blasphemy me of the Holy Spirit, which is a rejection of the truth of God. What sends a person to hell is a, is a, is a refusal to accept the truth that they know. You're offered the truth. Okay, so what we're going to do, um, I, Jessica and Aaron, you guys are coming. We're going we're to end by singing... A song about the grace of God that is available to us. The payment that Jesus made. And some of you guys have been trying for a long time to make your lives work. Some of you have been in church all your lives. And trying to, trying to be a good Christian. Being, a good, being what everybody thinks is a good Christian isn't what gets you to heaven. Tonight I want to invite you guys to... That you need Jesus as a savior. Maybe you've done that all your life, but would you just do it again? We're gonna sing about His grace covering us, and I think we've got uh, what's, what is the lyric that His gra- that His grace comes down and it covers me. We're gonna sing this, guys. Here's here's what we're gonna do. I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm asking the Lord even as I'm talking. What how does how should we end this in a way that really helps us to connect with the truth of? What Jesus did for us. And This is what I think we want to do. Some of you guys, let's 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 take this. T- let's do this a little different. And some of you guys just need to receive God's grace tonight. You need to receive God's grace and realize that He loves you. That you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to be a part of the Cornerstone to be saved. You just have to say yes to Jesus. So some of you guys are, are, are gonna are gonna ex- experience that tonight. His his grace on you as you say yes to him. And some of the rest of you, some of you guys, you guys I just want you to be praying. Some of you guys you just need to um, feel free to move around and maybe as as we're singing this, maybe put your hands on some of these people and just, would you just pray grace. Grace and an, an encounter with the Holy Spirit tonight. That every person who's in this room would know the grace that is available to us because of the sacrifice that Jesus made in your place okay so let's 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 follow the holy spirit's guidance right now let's sing this song and then we'll let's let's be praying for each other and accepting what the lord has to offer us